maybe the tattoos don't make sense in broad daylight in the middle of your workday, but when I see this guy playing music at night and he's actually decent at it, then yeah, all of that makes sense. Yep. And he's not afraid to go and do whatever he feels like doing. And that, what better message to give to somebody who may be struggling, trying to find their identity, trying to, you know, map out their life or they feel like they weren't true to themselves and they followed a career path because it was safe and they're afraid to do something that quote unquote unsafe. And, you know, they, so I feel that that that's happened a lot. I've had people tell me that, that just by the behavior I model and like who the persona I represent through social media or whatever that it's inspired them to just, I'm going to be whoever I am unapologetically. All right. How's it going, uh, Carlos? How's everything going? I'm doing well, man. Happy to be here. All right. Well, for everyone that uh, is welcoming back to the Sandbox, uh, I want to introduce Carlos Escania. He is a bilingual licensed psychotherapist by day. He's a musician by night. He's also a fitness enthusiast involved in a lot of different uh, groups like CrossFit Soul. Mm-hmm. And uh, he just ran a marathon the other day. So he's definitely like really involved in the industry beyond his craft of his career. Uh, he's also the host of a podcast called Men of a Certain Age. So he definitely has a lot going on, but he's a uh, he's a very unique person that I thought would be an amazing person to have on the show. He uh, tries a way to merge his creative side with his professional side, and I think it's a uh, it's an awesome uh, thing to to have someone that's so unique and ha- and brings a multifaceted kind of uh, approach to uh, your craft. So I'll, I'll let you introduce yourself to anyone that's never heard about you, or you know, if there's anything that I didn't really like. There, that sounded can, phenomenal, yeah. man. I was just yeah. keep keep going on this thing. <laughs> no, I, I really appreciate it, man. I appreciate being here. It's always an honor to be asked to be on, you know, on a podcast. But I, I'm a, especially one you're a fan of. I really enjoy it. I really enjoy this podcast, so I'm really excited uh, to be a part of it. Uh, yeah, pretty much you nailed everything. Uh, I am a psychotherapist here in Miami, and it's been awesome. It's been great. I'm in private practice. I'm part of a group. Uh, over at Coral Gables Counseling Center and it's a really awesome group of people and we we're doing our best you know we're doing our, our best to, to serve the you know the demand that has been kind of that's grown through the pandemic right. and we're really everyone's working you know really hard and uh, so I'm part of that and just stuff that I never let go of I mean the, the story with music is that that's when I when you do your last year of your master's degree uh, you do this unpaid clinical internship. Mm-hmm. And at the time, I had a three-year-old and a one-year-old boy, and I had to make money somehow. So I used you know, my talent of singing and playing guitar, formed a band, and started making money uh, playing music locally. And, and that stuck. And I graduated and pers- pursued my career, but the gigs kept on getting booked, and we just never stopped. And nice. here we are about 12 years later, still playing i mean i play different formats i'll i'll do solo gigs um i'll get my guitar player out there we'll do duo gigs and then i have the full band experience which uh the main place where we play at is uh, lincoln's beard uh, brewery which we've been the second friday of the month since the place opened yeah. uh, and that's so we're always there the name of that band is sunset dreams um and yeah i mean i keep busy doing that uh, yes love love fitness fell in love with crossfit about five or six years ago now 
uh, and my kids do it. Uh, my kids started CrossFit five years ago. Uh, Matthew, who's now 13, and Michael, who is now 15. Michael is an Olympic weightlifter, and he learned that through CrossFit. And, uh, and now he coaches uh, the kids. And, cool. and yeah, so, so all that is a big part of my life. Uh, married, you know, I've been married re- recently, hit the anniversary, the eight-year mark married, 12 years together. Congratulations. Uh, yes. Um, and if the numbers don't add up, yes, it is my second marriage. Because uh, they're like, he has a 15-year-old. How's that add up? Right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's me, man. Just doing the best I can. Cool. And to kind of take it a little bit further back, maybe we can talk about your background your parents, where they came from, you know, your upbringing here. Uh, can you yeah. tell us a little bit more about that? So, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. My um, so basically, my my mom uh, brought me here when I was one. Uh, basically, never met. No, not basically. I didn't. I never met my biological father, and she, um, you know, fell in love with the man that I call my dad, uh, and, and he he was living in Miami. So my my. Uh, mom brought me from Chile. He, my dad is also from Chile, but he okay. was already living here. Uh, got here uh, when I was about one and a half, and and just yeah, grew up here, man. Just Miami, Miami through and through. I, there was an interruption there where we tried to live in Chile for a couple years. When I was ten, we went back with the hopes of going back to you know uh, our culture and see how it goes. But business didn't really work out. So we, we came back two years later, two and a half years later, something like that. So just came right back to Miami, blended right back in, s- same old friends, went to the same school that was, you know, assigned for my area. Nice. Uh, and, 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 and yeah, and I basically been here ever since. Uh, and just, I mean, Miami is just my, my favorite place, even though I am, my body's not built for heat. <laughs> but I love Miami so much that I, I stick with it. I, I stay here. Yeah. <laughs> I love everything about Miami, perhaps except the heat yeah. temperature, not the not the basketball team, because yeah. I love the Miami. <laughs> exactly. Um, in terms of what drove you towards pursuing this craft of psychotherapy, uh, was there any inspiration from your parents or from other family members or close ones that kind of uh, inspired that direction for you? I mean, there was, I mean, one particular person that inspired, but I, growing up, it was always, oh, you're so easy to talk to, you know, like I was very quick to fall into the friend zone with, with girls when I was in, you know, high school and early in college and, you know, oh, you know, you're such a great listener and, you know, you help me process things and you've helped me through so much and you should be a therapist. And, and I was at FIU um, and I, I wanted to major in business uh, because, Everyone was like, that's the only way you're going to make money. You know, don't be a therapist because therapists don't make any money. Mm-hmm. And that was the, you know, that, that was the thing back then. And and so I did. I majored in business and tried to pursue that for a couple of years. And I was absolutely miserable. And uh, I was I was still in my, in my first marriage and we were trying to work things out. And we, we, we really tried everything. And one of the things we tried was couples therapy. And the the therapist that worked with us, I mean, he was just an inspiration to me. I mean, I was like, I learned so much about myself. Unfortunately, the marriage didn't work out, but we each learned a lot about ourselves and that process. And really, he did a great job just putting up a mirror and just helping us see our flaws and our character defects and how it affects others and how we project our 
how we project our shit to other people and make other people feel bad based on our own insecurities and issues that we have, you know, and just, he did such a great job that even though the marriage didn't work out, he, he, I continued to see him for career counseling and he wasn't trying to point me in that direction. But one day I was just like, I just want to do what you do. I want to give someone the experience that you gave me, you know, and I just, I, that's what I want to do. And he said, okay. And he helped like guide me and uh he pretty much told me all the difficulties you know because it is an imperfect program uh but everything i was going to go through what the struggles were going to be but eventually if you get to a point where you can have your own practice and you can diagnose and treat people that if i really love the work that i'll be happy and it's turned out to be pretty true up to this point yeah um specific to your space I know that there's sometimes confusion when it comes to psychotherapists versus just uh, psychology or mental health coach. Like there's a lot of different, <laughs> you know, phrases getting thrown out. And for people who aren't familiar with the space, they might confuse them together. So I don't know if you can kind of clarify some of those different areas. And so people know what it means to be specifically your role of a licensed psychotherapist. So... Okay, I've gotten into a little bit of trouble answering this question in the past, especially people who have more advanced degrees, like who have doctorates in clinical psychology and things like that. So, um, I what I'll say what I'll say to that is it it depends on what you're looking for. If you're looking for somebody who, if if you're experiencing from an extreme mental illness or a mood disorder, anxiety, depression, you want to look for some somebody who has the training to diagnose and to treat. Okay, now who who has that basically you have obviously clinical psychologists people who have doctorates and phds and those are you know obviously there of course not everybody can afford a three hundred thousand dollar program and be you know do research for a university for five years of their lives especially since a lot of people who are therapists are career changers so a lot of people go into this field a little later on uh, so what I imagine happened, I don't know the history very well, but what I imagine is what happened is let's develop a program where people can still learn the the diagnostic, uh, the manual DSM-5 to be able to diagnose. And then, of course, the treatment and all the training that's involved with treating that. Uh, so you can have a master's degree in social work. You can have a master's degree in mental health counseling. You can have a master's degree in, uh, in marriage family therapy. And at the end of the day, after two years of, of seeing people under supervision, so somebody with a license supervises your work, your cases, you discuss it with them for two years, and then you can sit for the exam. And that exam is a very tedious exam of all about, like it takes you down this rabbit hole, like here's a case, you know, this is what's happening. What would you do? What's your initial diagnosis? What's the process? What's the modality? And once you pass that exam, you become licensed and you can diagnose and treat. Now, I know the things I cannot do. And the things I cannot do is, for example, do or conduct extensive research and publish research results and, you know, write books based on research and stuff like that. Um, and But if you're looking for somebody to help you through a hard time or if you're experiencing depression anxiety adjustment anything like this or more advanced stuff if you feel that you're you have borderline personality disorder bipolar schizophrenia 
anybody who's licensed can properly help you. So if you read if you read licensed clinical social worker, they can help you. Licensed mental health counselor, which is what I am, they can help you. Clinical psychologist, they can help you. you know, so that's kind of a long answer to your question, but that's kind of where we're at. Cool, cool. Yeah. No, I think it's it's important to to do that because now in, in this day and age, there's a lot of there's also self-prescribed, you know, health mental health coaches that you know they might have not even studied it in, as in depth as what you did, and, and are now actually advising and, and treating other people. So I think it's important to kind of like put you know some boundaries or or at least so people understand what they're getting into when they're uh, you know approaching the subject and trying to work with someone that they could help them out. Um, yeah. In terms of what you do, which I think. For those that aren't watching the podcast, they don't really see you, and, and I think that a lot of people have different ideas of what a uh, a psychotherapist or a therapist looks like. Oh, you know, sometimes yes. we've talked about this before. Yeah, uh, they're not used. To, they usually think it's someone that's very like academic and and kind of like reserved, and and you know, you wears a tie or yeah. you know, or it has glasses, or or it's very female dominated actually. Mm-hmm. But um, when they see you and they see someone that. It works out. That has tattoos. It looks very different from the prototypical, stereotypical kind of, um, you know, psychologist that they would approach. I think that it's interesting how you've positioned yourself in the space and how you've kind of opened up the uh, opportunity for people to approach you as as someone that they could talk to in, in these matters. So, what what's been your experience uh, with with individuals in this space, like? Are there certain kind of demographics that you've been able to cater to, or is there anything that you've realized uh, being different from the, the the masses of of the space that uh, you know you, you've kind of like experienced over your career? It's a it's a great question. It's actually uh, it's it's funny you ask because it's been a very relevant subject in the last two weeks of my life because I took the leap and got my hand tattooed. Nice. Yeah. So um, so that's the the question is. The first question out of everybody's mouth is how does that affect your career? You know, like how, how do people look at you? And and it's been funny because my answer has been, wow, like it's almost disappointing how little of a shit people have given about this tattoo. Sorry, can I curse on this? Yeah, thing? absolutely. I'm sorry, it's just dropped. <laughs> um, you know, like like they, my patients walk in, they're like, oh, cool. All right, anyway, let's talk about me because that's what they're there for. They're not there to talk about my tattoos, right? Yeah. Um, if, if I've never... I've had one person that openly said, and, and and not that age is that big of a thing, but 22-year-old that actually looked at me and said, you know, because before the hand tattoo, I would always wear long sleeves and you couldn't see my full tattoo sleeves. And he said, you know, before we started, if I would have noticed the tattoos, I probably wouldn't have come back to you. Mm. One person. Now, I don't know. There's probably been others. Um, yeah, they didn't say something. They just kept it to themselves. Yeah. But I'm happy to report that my retention rate is pretty high. Yeah. So people know that I have it, that I have the tattoos, that I'm heavily tattooed, and they don't care. Because at the end of the day, if I'm helping them, I mean, we're egocentric creatures. Like, I don't care what you look like. If you're helping me, yeah. then I'm going to keep coming back. Correct. And and I think that I'm confident enough in my abilities to where I can pull that off as kind of, you know, not to sound arrogant or whatever. But, yeah, but yeah. you know, I, I do feel confident. I do have a lot of experience. I worked in the public sector. I've worked in the private sector. I've worked with families. I've worked with all demographics. I mean, I do feel very confident in my abilities. And I think people sense that. And at that point, they don't care. And But what's really happening, though, in reality is that people appreciate it because people are intimidated 
by going to the person you described. Yeah. You know, where I'm just sitting there, you know, with like my suit and, you know, like, hey, you know, like, let's talk about this and that. And, you know, it's like, and, and sometimes it can come off as a little condescending. People feel intimidated. People leave a therapy room feeling stupid, feeling like silly, feeling ridiculous. The person didn't make them feel comfortable. They made them feel, you know, uncomfortable about their decision or whatever issue they had during that session. So it's really interesting because when they see me, it's almost like an immediate comfort. It's almost like this guy's just like me. This guy's just like one of the guys that this guy could be, you know, just he's just a regular guy. Mm -hmm. And it's actually helped me more than ever. It's like hurt me or anything like that, you know. So I I, and I'm I'm grateful for that because I'm not going to stop getting tattooed. Yeah, exactly. You know, so. (laughs) Which is interesting. It's good because it shows that there it's less of a narrow path or like a narrow structure of this is what you study and this is how you look and this is how you compose yourself. And it, so that's why I think it's unique to, to showcase how you've been able to develop your career because it shows that people don't have to follow these, I don't know, socially con- constructed ideas of what it is to be a certain professional on a certain path. Yeah, and it models a really healthy behavior. It models a healthy behavior. This guy did not limit himself. This guy... Maybe the tattoos don't make sense in broad daylight in the middle of your workday, but when I see this guy playing music at night and he's actually decent at it, then, yeah, all of that makes sense. Yep. And he's not afraid to go and do whatever he feels like doing. And that, what better message to give to somebody who maybe is struggling, trying to find their identity, trying to, you know, map out their life, or they feel like they weren't true to themselves and they followed a career path because it was safe. And they're afraid to do something that quote unquote unsafe. And, you know, they, so I feel that that that's happened a lot. I've had people tell me that, that just by the behavior I model and like who the persona I represent through social media or whatever, that it's inspired them to just, I'm going to be whoever I am unapologetically. Yeah. Getting into the concept of your process when you're, let's say you have a new client and you are going to approach them for the first time, are there any rituals or any uh, kind of preparations that you set for yourself entering into that new experience with the person so that, you know, for not just for yourself, but for them? I enter every initial session with zero preconceived notions. You know, I don't, unless they're in crisis, okay? So if this person has... express that they want to kill themselves or they you know witnessed a a traumatic something traumatic or experienced something traumatic yes i want to know about it Mm -hmm. obviously but for the most part i like to go in with no preconceived notions and i just like for them to tell me what the what we call the presenting issue is and go from there and if they're stuck because sometimes they have to wait like three or four weeks before they get into the office and sometimes they get stuck and I'll just say, okay, what was going on the day you made the appointment? Because something happened that made you want to mm-hmm. actually dial the number and say, I'm ready to, to do this. What was so intense about that? What was going on that was intense enough for you to make that move? And boom, they just open up right away. They're yeah. like, oh, I remember. And then we go from there. That's cool. Yeah. Um, in terms of the way that you keep yourself prepared for whatever's going to come your way because I'm sure that there's there's obviously different reasons that people approach you but I'm sure there's always like a different angle or some sort of different approach how, how do you stay educated in the space to knowing you know how to approach some of these new 
variations of, of these issues that you've uh, dealt with? You know, mm. are there any, are there certain, is there certain subject matter that you study? Is it, are you reading certain books or are you, are you watching certain videos that kind of keep you uh, up to date or, or in tune with what's going on so that you could kind of like connect the dots and be able to, to approach them? Sure. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think that with all the changes that we've seen in technology in the last 20 years, let's say, you know, there's, there's always that question, like, what are therapists doing to stay up to date? Well, it's interesting because the processing doesn't change. The triggers don't change. You know, what we, how we react to things doesn't change. It's just the stimulus that's changing. It's just the you know, you know, we now have social media. It triggers certain emotions, but those emotions always existed. What are those emotions? Insecurity, right? The comparison factor. Uh, you know, all those. You know, you know, stress, anxiety. All those things have always existed. So it doesn't really. It, it, it's, just, it's more important to stay up to date with what's triggering people, because the modalities really don't change. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people are hooked on self-help books or self-development books. And if you pay really, really close attention, if you were to read, I mean, you know, you were to read 100 self-development books, 98 of them come from the same umbrella of information. It's just all they did was package it differently. Correct. They used wording that maybe was tailored for you. You know, so the I always use the example of The Miracle Morning, right? I I reference it because I like that book and it worked for me, but there's other people it doesn't work for. But the, what this gentleman did is he told his story because he went through something traumatic and you guys can read the book on your own if you're interested, but he tells his story and how the miracle morning and what he designed helped him. But then there's like 20 books that are just like that, like the 5am club, right? It's like, same thing. It's like this ritual in the morning and it's all behavior based. So you've, you know, one could say that if you read a self-development book, it's more important to read it, let it resonate with you, and go and do and apply what you learned instead of jumping to the next book, which is what most people do, yeah. right? So what do I stay up to date, what I'm trying to stay up to date with professionally currently right now is the effect of social media and how it has affected, we've regressed our ability to communicate verbally. I mean, we laugh because it is there is humor to it, but like, oh wait, wait, you can text me, but don't don't, don't call me, dude. This person's calling me. <laughs> like, who calls people? Like, who calls? No, ill, no, just decline. This person called, dude. This person called me. It's a phone. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's it, the phone's doing its job, but you know, it, so things like that. Like, like we we have regressed, in my opinion, we have regressed in our ability to communicate and confront. You know, uh, I was laughing the other day. We were talking about the whole thing with ghosting mm-hmm. and how people can ghost each other. And like, you cease to exist in my universe, like just like that. Like yep. you said one wrong thing or you sent one text that bothered me or, you know, or you acted weird. Not because, you know, maybe you, act, you were acting weird because you like me and you didn't know what to do. But I just interpreted it, you're just strange and now I'm ghosting you. You know, like it, all these things that are not being communicated. And so that's what I'm getting into right now, where the my biggest demographic is the ages of 24 to 35. And, and out of those, probably 80% of them are dating, currently in the dating realm, dating pool, dating experience, and just helping them 
kind of maneuver this experience dating, but with regressed communication. Yeah. It's fascinating. And trying to help people maintain, like, there are some things that don't go out of style. You know, like telling somebody how you feel doesn't go out of style. Telling somebody that they're, they're making you feel uncomfortable doesn't go out of style. You know, giving a person a fair chance, you know, that doesn't go out of style. You know, and so that's like the, I'm not reading anything specific currently. I keep following my modalities that I believe in. I used to teach the happiness course uh, at one of the local universities here. And and I, I follow a lot of that, you know, uh, what, what I taught there. And I bring that into the therapy room. Um, and of course, just all the, you know, the, the traditional books that, you know, I, a lot of Eckhart Tolle or Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, you know, these are books that teach like the fundamentals, you know, deflating the ego, staying present, internal focus of control, like things like that, that apply and trickle down to everything. So, you know, I, I stay up to date, but what I am trying to do is I'm trying to understand how this technology has really affected people negatively, emotionally, with all the benefits it has, Yep. but emotionally, it's really, really messing with people. So that's where I'm at. Absolutely. I think that there's just, I mean, I think that's like the underlying factor of a lot of these things. And then there's the amplification of other global events have happened too that have probably added to that and now experience so obviously the pandemic was its own thing and it it's affected people mentally especially if they've been directly affected health-wise but i think the fact that we have internet and we have social media and we have this fast kind of like uh instant gratification of of seeing news or seeing mm, stats and mm. seeing people have commentary it's kind of changed the landscape and people are being flooded with information and have options to to kind of like digest all of it i don't think that most people have have been accustomed to that i don't think that the, most people have been able to to gr- like come to grips with the fact that we have all this information and then now you turn around and the, the war that's been going on it's like we've never experienced a war where the people on the ground have phones and the people on the ground can actually showcase what's going on in real time almost before you would have to turn on the five o'clock news or 11 o'clock news and see like what happened in the past week maybe not even the past day and things are just happening so fast that there's just a lot more information coming in and and i think that that's definitely all feeding into it so i it's really interesting to always see how the the, the fact that we, where we got in from technology and then how events kind of transpire and then now you digest it differently it's not like we didn't go through wars and we didn't go through pandemics it's a matter that now people are digesting it completely differently and it's I, I think that we haven't really fully seen how it's set into you know the average individual but yeah I mean it keeps it keeps this engine I'm pointing to the brain it keeps it just running like we don't shut it off I mean this accessibility opens up our appetite for more for the world I get to experience the world more mm-hmm. you know so I mean, yes, obviously the most serious thing that's happening today as we're recording this is the war that's going on. But even trickling down, going back to, you know, the dating example, like, yeah, I like this person, but there's so many other people. Like, I go on Instagram and look at all these other people. (laughs) And I want to experience all of that. So all of a sudden, this person that I'm talking to is not that interesting anymore. It's it's incredible because it opens up our appetite for more. Yep. We want more. We want more. We want to know more. We want to be in the loop. We want to, I mean, it's really, really fascinating. But then, of course, escalating it to where you're going. I mean, the, I mean, the pandemic, what's, 
what have I experienced? And of course, I'm just one therapist out of many. What have I seen most come out of the pandemic is people learn things about themselves, but being uncomfortable with it. Like people who thought they enjoyed going out and being in big groups of people. Yep. And then the pandemic hits, the shutdown hits, quarantine hits, all these things. And then they go to a place for the first time surrounded by a lot of people and they're like oh shit i think i have social anxiety but how did i not have that before why do i have that now yeah right or people who have made career changes people who've resigned from their jobs like i didn't realize how non-stop i was and how stressed i was in my life and then we were forced to slow down to a speed that one could argue is the speed that life is supposed to go at and then all of a sudden we have to pick it back up and we're all like, no, 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 no. I liked this speed. Yeah. Well, you have to go at this speed. Okay, well, then I quit. I'm going to go do something else for my own peace. You know, um, the stress hormone is highly involved in most physical illnesses. I'm going to take care of my peace. I'm going to take care of myself. And so people coming in to my office processing that. You know, like I, I, I wasn't always like this, but I'm like this now. Is something wrong with me? Well, we want to stay away from is there something wrong with you? But it'd be interesting to explore what happened and what you discovered about yourself that maybe this is how you were meant to be and this is how you're enjoying life more yep. and how I can help you continue still being successful, still making a living, still, you know, living your life, but in a way where you are more at peace because nothing's more important than your peace. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that part's been fascinating too as far as the pandemic is concerned. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, I think that also it, it shook a lot of people's foundations in the sense of it brought a lot of uncertainty to what in their lives they thought was certain. Mm. Well, but for me, I guess being in a freelancer and being in entrepreneurship has taught me over time is like kind of certainty is almost like a socially constructed thing because it's you could have a client or you could have you know a certain amount of income or business happening and on the flip flip of a switch it's no longer there and you just thought you expected that things are going to operate you know in the status quo they're going to keep going the way that they were going and when something a shakeup like this happens it, it brings in the element of uncertainty which clearly a lot of people don't know how to really manage it so that to me has been like the one of the bigger pieces that's kind of gotten people to start turning their gears and I, I read that in January alone there was 4.3 million people that resigned from their jobs really? so that's that tells me and that's only in one month so I can imagine over the course of the pandemic over the maybe last month too like a lot of these things are, are setting in and people are starting to look different ways so I, I think it's always very important to refocus and reframe what's going on because what we think is is the way things are and they're going to continue to be can easily be you know changed by you know anything really at this point but yeah it's it's an interesting kind of um and the generation clash that occurs with that right correct because now the parents of these people are going they come from a a scarcity mindset you know and uh, that's that's a big thing in you know in in cult in cities where you know we have a lot of people from other countries and other cultures that we we do have that scarcity mindset that we you know were brought up and i know you know my parents were like the day you don't work is the day you lose everything like yeah. that was like you know you're only as good as your last day like things like this like 
you know, I get all hot, you know, like, yeah, you have to, yeah. no, 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 like, no, there's no breaks. Like, what do you mean? Like, you're, you take one week vacation, that's too long. Like, they're going to fire you and then you're never going to find a job again and you're going to end up living under a bridge, right? So, like, this scarcity mindset all of a sudden clashing with this, hey, you know, my peace comes first and I'm going to find a work that feeds into that. And you have these people's, you know, family members and parents like, no, 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 like, but you can't stop. Like, you know, you're only 30 years old. You need to be like hustling. You need to be working 12 hours a day. You need to be burning yourself out. You need to be killing yourself. Essentially, yeah. this is what we encourage. This is what I did. You know, this and, and 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 you need to, you know, work your ass off. And it's and that's fine. We want people to work hard and and develop and succeed. But to the point of like being, you know, okay, working 14 hours a day, five days a week, yep. is unnecessary. Yeah. So that generation clash is also very interesting when you have to talk tell people. No, like you you did great and you made a life for yourself and you had kids and you provided for them and you did wonderful and you succeeded, but you did kind of go about it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. And for someone to hear that is, you know, somebody who's in maybe in their 50s now or late 40s and on, it's a punch, you know, it's kind of a punch in the face. Yeah. It's like, are you downplaying my hard work? No, not downplaying your hard work, but you didn't have to go through all the stresses that you went through, yep. you know, um, because you fell into that system that now we're choosing to not fall into that system. Mm-hmm. So having that the younger generation have the older generation just respect that decision is a fascinating component too to all this. Yeah. I think. And I think this also leans into the next part that I want to talk about which is how you find a way to balance yourself out whether it's through hobbies or escapism and other formats for you it's been music how long ago did you start like when did you find music as something that you loved well uh, my my parents uh you know and my dad was uh he was really into disco actually so and then um so i he was huge bg's fan nice and i'll play a bg song at every show just in honor of him because that was the first time that i was singing along in the car and then, you know, that led into, like, Motown. He introduced me to Motown. And then you know, Michael Jackson was really big at the time. You know, we're talking about, like, the mid-'80s, you know, late-'80s, you know. Um, and a lot of soul and me trying to sing along, trying to hit those notes. And I fell in love with it, man. It just, that was great. Like, it just that combination musicianship, uh, it, was, it was great. And then at 12 years old, the grunge era, uh, you know, and so you guys can place me where you know, I kind of dated myself there. But... Um, <laughs> Is where I start. I just picked up the guitar, learned by ear, and never had a lesson. Wow! And then when I learned that, around I was at it for two years. Around fourteen, once my voice was a little bit more developed, I started singing, playing guitar, and singing. That combination occurred around fifteen, sixteen, and then just never stopped. And then uh, I was always, you know, the guy at the party with the guitar, like, "Hey, bring out the guitar. Let's, you know, when we just like sing like these crazy songs and like, you know, that that stuff would happen." And and then I didn't start actually playing out in the scene till I was like 27. Uh, yeah. So, uh, but it's, yeah, it's, it's been, that's, that's everything. I mean, I, and, and it played out exactly the way I wanted it to play out because you start, you, I went through a phase of like, man, I wonder what would have happened if I would have pursued this, you know, like making it big, quote unquote, you know, playing sold out arenas and stuff like that. And yeah. then you, you get older and you start learning what the music business is like. You start learning what life is like as a famous person. Mm-hmm. You start learning, like, really the dark side of, you know, touring, you know, being away from your family yep. for six, seven months out of the year, 
that you have to go to. It's no longer fun. You're not like, hey, let's go on a tour. No, it's like the label saying you have to. Here's the contract. We, you, you know, we own you. We need you to be in Dallas tomorrow. Like, it doesn't matter if your kid's birthday party, you know, like, yeah. and and you start learning the music business and you're like, wow, like that's a moment I had probably about 10 years ago. I had a moment where I was like, I'm playing music in the exact way I want to be playing music. Yeah. And I'm living, you know, I've always envision being a family man i get to be a family man i get to be there for my kids i get to play music i get to have a career i get to enjoy my life and it all it was like one of those moments where everything just came together um and i was like yes this is good this is good let's just keep doing this you know when they stop booking me then i'll just play music alone in my room it doesn't matter (laughs) yeah i think for me it was always been sports or physical activity specifically basketball i mean i started off in little league baseball but then it was too slow for me and then i I jumped into basketball and I love like the fast paced nature of it. You have to make decisions on the fly. One second you're playing offense, next second you're playing defense. And that kind of like uh, energy was what I loved about it. Obviously, I knew because of my physical stature that it wasn't something that I could pursue even collegiately or, or professionally, but it was something that I knew I loved. And I've personally just playing recreationally, torn both my ACLs playing basketball, and I've come back and still wanted to play it because of how much I love it. Yes. Because there's zero gain there financially. And obviously, there's the risk of, you know, being out and, and you have to mend yourself but the the feeling that when you're when i'm on the court and for you the feeling when you're playing an instrument i think that those are things that are irreplaceable or that you know bring that that comfort of like you you realize that this is something that you truly love and i think the interesting part is being able to decipher whether it's a hobby or or you you can take it to a certain extent or a career path that is you know now something you you move on specifically for me regardless of playing basketball, I, I always thought, oh, maybe I'll do advertising or marketing in sports. And the more I looked into it, I realized like a lot of times, let's say I end up working for the Heat or the Dolphins or the Marlins, you end up working the games, you end up being there and, and having to like not even be able to enjoy the game anymore. Right. So then it becomes less of a hobby and it's all work and then the association starts blurring and it doesn't, you don't have the same kind of elation when you're watching or experiencing the game. So I kind of realized early on that I said, I know I'm not going to play sports professionally, and I know now I'm not going to pursue it as a career path. I'm going to keep it as what I love watching and what I love, you know, uh, experiencing. Absolutely. So, I think it's always interesting to be able to have those boundaries of saying when you can uh, choose this as a career path, or when am I just going to leave this as a hobby that I enjoy? Uh, I know for you also that's fitness, and you've been a part okay. of a gym for a while. How long have you been part of a CrossFit Soul? Uh, about six years now. Cool. Uh, so I I was about, I keep saying 100, but I think things have changed. So let's just say that I was about 80 pounds heavier. Okay. Uh, around 2000, 2009, somewhere around there. 2008, 2009. And um, I started losing weight through these uh, DVD programs called like P90X. I don't know if you've oh, ever yeah, heard of it. Definitely, I did some of that too. Yeah, yeah. So I definitely did those at home kind of workouts, and I and I lost like a good amount of weight, and and then you know life changed, you know divorce happens, and I kind of maintained that. Um, but what was happening is when one thing, if you know someone's listening and they're interested in getting into the therapy world, it is a lonely road. You know, it, it's it's a lot of time by yourself. Yes, you you are technically talking to people all day long but they're not listening to you you're listening to them like there's no you know 
uh, and it's it's very rare that you disclose things about yourself. Like I do it when it's pertinent to the session, not like oh let's talk about me too. Like obviously that's not part of the business. Yeah. Right? So it is a lonely road. So there was a lot of there was a moment where I didn't want to do fitness because I was tired of going at it by myself, right? And then you know a lot of things like I do by myself. Even when I play music, sometimes like with without the band, it's on me. It's just me and the guitar. You know, again alone. Like and. So I worked, uh, when I was getting my master's degree, I worked at this organization called Drug-Free Youth in Town, uh, Defy It. And it was great. It was a great program, drug prevention program all across like Miami-Dade County Public Schools. And my office mate was Danny Lopez Calleja. And Danny Lopez Calleja moved on from there. I moved on and pursued my therapy career and he moved on and opened up CrossFit Soul. Got it. So I called him one day and it was like early 2015. So I said, hey man, like I love fitness. I want to continue losing weight. Um, and I just, I need a community because I'm spending a lot of time by myself. And he invited, he invited me, obviously. He's like, of course. And I've been part of that family since, since then, since 2015 and lost another like 40 pounds and maintained since and have done different things and competitions and, you know, marathons and other things and just always trying to stay active. And, uh, but that community has really, really changed my life. It's really presented me with new friendships you know people reach a certain age and they're like oh i'm too old to make friends well that proved to be wrong because like i some of my closest friends now i met there um and it's just a a wonderful wonderful community and that that keeps me plugged in and you know it's it's interesting because there's days i don't feel like working out but i want to go see my people so i end up at the gym and you can't just be at the gym doing nothing so you end up working out anyway you know so uh so yeah so that's what you know led to the appreciation of how your body can move and what your body's capable of and and then it opens up doors to other things like hey do you want to try running a half marathon and in your mind because of all the training you've done you say i think i could do that instead of saying are you kidding me like i don't run unless someone's chasing me (laughs) right but you know when you when you are constantly doing fitness related activities and all of a sudden somebody presents this you're like i can i can train for that so you, it's more of like this yes mentality. So, and um, and again, my kids are involved too, you know. And it's uh, it's really awesome to see them develop in that world as well. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. so how all these things kind of put together? We talk about your professional life. We talk about personal hobbies and things that you're involved with. It builds this whole concept of identity, and I feel like identity has shifted over the years in the sense that a, a lot of people used to believe that identity was very singular or, you know, at least monolithic focus. Like you are this person in your career and you're a father or you're a single mom or whatever the, the case might be. It, it was very like focused on that singular identity as opposed mm-hmm. to now there's these multifaceted uh, angles that people layer into their identity. And I think that while that's kind of comforting in the sense that um, now people feel like they could do that, there's there's this kind of like open world this gray area of how do i identify myself and i i wonder has that represented itself in some of the the kind of conversations you've had with clients like identity crisis identity uh not knowing are they more this or that you know this kind of you know conversation has that been something that has been brought up a lot or has it been more subtle uh in your conversations it's a lot it's brought up a lot absolutely and 
this you know this concept in my mind as 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 kind of gone evolving through the years too because it's really interesting when you we are by nature egocentric creatures and I, you know there was a point where i looked at my life and i'm like okay i'm like i'm really happy with where i'm at this is this is how people should live their life and that's wrong right so there are people and i've had to learn because i've learned that i've made the decisions that i've made in my life have it has a lot to do with my personality type you know i'm not you know i i i just retirement is 65 years old traditionally and i was 30 at the time and i'm going i'm not going to do the same thing for 35 years mm-hmm. i am going to open up my experiences i'm going to if something presents itself i'm not no is not going to be my default answer I'm going to research it. I'm going to see if I like it, if I'm into it. And I'm going to try it. I'm just going to dive in. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And I'm just going to keep I'm gonna keep going. I'm just going to keep going and try new things as I go along. And the things that I can get good at and be effective on and, and, and enjoy, I'm in. I'm down. But what I've learned throughout the years is that there are people who are very comfortable having just one identity, just one thing. And they are comfortable doing the same thing for 35 years. And they're not hiding behind anything. They're not just saying that. They are truly, that's truly how they want to live their lives. And so that's interesting because we live in this world where we have access to so much. And we look at a person like that and say, well, why don't you try something new? And no, I don't want to. I don't feel that I need to. And it's like, wow, like it's amazing that there are people who feel that way. But now to answer your question, the people who don't feel comfortable... The people who are like, well, I don't ima- I can't imagine just, you know, like, uh, you know, just studying, going to school, graduating, getting the job, you know, getting the house, getting the family and just like doing the same thing over and over and over again. And yeah, I get that a lot where we have to get to the bottom as to the fear. Like, what's the fear of trying something new? What's the fear of, okay, you say you want to, I don't know, let's say, let's use the marathon example. You say you want to do a marathon, but you don't start running why what is it you know yeah i you know you say you want to start working out but you don't why you know what's going on um you know i would like to be more than you know whatever your career is i'd like to do something else okay why don't you try it and the fear of losing one identity and it's that like you said singular like well if i oh well, if 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 i go and play music then i can't be a therapist says who yeah. right like what do you mean who who wrote that who said that? It's you're doing that to yourself. Oh, well, because, well, that's what you grew up. That's what you were taught growing up. You do one thing, but you don't have to. You can do multiple things. And just you got to try it, though. You just you have to. That's the, the biggest thing in therapy, right, is you could bring a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. Yeah. You know, there's that session that. I, you know, that we, we all have different names for it, but, you know, it's basically the, the summary session where, you know, the person says, you know, I don't think this therapy is working. And I'll just go, okay, well, let's review. And I'll just summarize the entire treatment. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, this is all the things we've been through. So where's the issue? I'm the issue. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have everything you need. You're just not, you're just not doing it. You're just not taking the leap. You know, and and that's the conversation that happens a lot in this realm. Like, I want to try this, or I want to try that, or I want to start a business here while still working here, but I'm afraid. That fear, 
fear, fear, fear, man. Fear is just the, the ultimate enemy when it comes to stress, anxiety, depression. It's, just, yep. it's amazing. Yeah. yeah, and I think that the, my opinion is when you put yourself in a position where you're open to trying out different roles, uh, whether it, it could be playing a video game, <laughs> you, you role play as a character, or you could Correct. be in a, in a job, you, you take on a role that you've, you're not comfortable with, but now you're learning about something that you didn't. If you, if you, your tolerance or your, uh, you know, you, your openness to that is, is very limited, then yes, it, it, you, you kind of constrict yourself into this is who I am. I can't stray away from my lane and, and it could cause these others. I feel like we're, we're evolutionary creatures. And if, um, if you don't adapt, you put yourself in a really tough situation. So I've always grown up with that. And I feel like, although it's never an easy kind of switch, you you're more open to it. If you have kind of put yourself in positions to try different roles and try different things and I feel like you've you put yourself in that situation as well especially going through different moments in your life where you said you know what this is not the direction I want to go let me try something else and I think that that's something that's very important for especially people in the creative field there is no prescribed way of being successful in a creative career you know it like I've talked about in the past being an artist you know being an artist it, it used to be very singular very limited in the way that you would actually make money quote unquote mm-hmm. you could be happy as an artist and paint whatever you want sculpt whatever you want but in terms of it as a viable career path quote unquote uh they um you know it, it just was very limited now it's opened up different doors i feel like being creative comes with the territory of, of having to adapt to different roles and i, I think that um you're, you're a good example of that as well thanks man. um appreciate it to to kind of like wrap this up or get closer to the end of it uh I, i'd like to talk a little bit more about insights you've learned over the years is there any kind of advice that you would tell yourself 10 you know yourself 10 years ago or or maybe let's frame it this way advice for yourself in your 20s and advice for yourself in your 30s Oof. wow <laughs> it's a lot but I mean, Ooh. how old am i now um advice that i would have given myself in my 20s yeah in my 30s Um, I would say the advice I would have given myself in my 20s would be please for the love of God just run your own race stop looking around stop you know your friends did well they did congratulations be happy for them they have the white picket fence they have the perfect marriage well no marriage is perfect but they have a good marriage they have beautiful children they go on vacations every year they're getting promoted at work. They found their way. Be happy for them, mm-hmm. you know. But that doesn't mean you have to strive for the same thing. You know, your path is different, and accept that. Be proud of that. Don't be ashamed of it, because we. I mean, I come. I'm, I'm 42 years old. I come from a generation where we were taught to be ashamed of anything less. Yep. Right. Um, in my 20s, you know, like uh, you know the. You know, marriage wasn't going good. I ended up divorced right at 30 and nothing went the way that I wanted it to go. But I wouldn't have it any other way. So that would have been the advice for I'm in my 20s. Like, just please. If it's just, and just like that, for the love of God, just stop. Because I would look around a lot and I don't have that and I don't have this and I don't have this. And I don't have the nice car and I don't have that. As a matter of fact, not only do I not have these things, but my life is fucking falling apart. Well, you know, everyone gets what they want. And it creates this like 
temper tantrum, resentful attitude toward yeah. life and people and all this stuff. So I would have, and then in my thirties, the advice I would have given myself in my thirties would have been, I would say, <laughs> barring any illnesses or tragic accidents, the road is long. So just stay engaged. Just be engaged in what you're doing. Focus, you know, because one of the main triggers to anxiety is the feeling that you're never where you are supposed to be. And what causes that? The lack of being present. So if I'm thinking about other things right now, when I get to those other things later, I'm going to punch myself for not being present here with you. Yep. Right? And and it, and, the, and it just goes on and on and on and on. If I'm watching my kid's soccer game and I'm thinking about work, but everything ends up being okay at work, I'm going to regret not being present at my kid's soccer game. And, and that causes so much anxiety. And you feel like it causes this feeling like you're not living your life. You're just chasing something that you don't know what you're chasing, but you're chasing and you're wasting energy on it. So that would have been, yeah, I, I, if I can go in my 30s and just say, hey, just everything's in its right place. Just enjoy it instead of trying to chase something that you don't even know what you're chasing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and the advice I'd give myself right now in my 40s is keep doing what you're doing, mm -hmm. you know, because I'm really, really enjoying it. Nice. Um, but yeah, touching upon your point about, you know, not being present, I think that, especially growing up in America, we have this idea of like the pursuit of happiness as opposed mm -hmm. to like the, the actual enjoyment of happiness in the presence or right. you know enjoying whatever's happening currently it's an interesting point so, yeah so i mean yes i think you always want to pursue happiness and, and more of it but mm -hmm. then also take a step back and, and be present and see what is already in front of you that you can be grateful for and i think that we we struggle with that a lot i think as as a, a generation now uh, oh. So I think that there's definitely like room for us to, to reframe that subject. Absolutely, yeah. man. I mean, what is the metric of happiness? How do you know how happy you are? The metric for happiness is how quickly you can bounce back to a good place from a negative situation. The time it takes, because negative situations are going to happen, they're inevitable, mm -hmm. you got to expect them, and the way how proactive you are toward it and how quickly you can bounce back into feeling better it will determine how happy you are, you know? And that's like the definition, well, maybe not the definition, but one of the definitions of an optimist, you know, where we don't pretend everything's okay. We embrace the negative situation. We tackle it. We're proactive about it. That creates a positive emotion, whether you get the outcome that you want or not. And just the fact that you were proact proactive creates that positive emotion. And if you can get to that place fast, that's a, that helps you determine how happy you are as a whole. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. Um, in, in terms of anyone entering the space of mental health, pursuing it as a career, do you have any advice for someone that would be entering it now? It's just, it's crazy that I'm a, that I'm going to say this because I never thought I'd be saying this about the mental health field. Um, don't get into it just because it's trendy right now. You know, um, there, there's, you cannot hide from the work in this field. 
you can't you can't coast you know you you get really good like there's that meme that that's floating around out there in the in social media that says you know you don't you don't pay me for the hour you pay me by the experience you know like i can listen to somebody for 50 minutes and in 5 minutes i give them exactly what they need and have a breakthrough you know but I'm fully engaged in those 50 minutes. There's no way that I cannot be engaged. I can't coast for 50 minutes and then give them some random advice unrelated to anything they spent 50 minutes talking about. You can't hide from the work. What's happening is the mental health field is growing. It's going to get better. More, there's going to be more money. There's still not enough therapists to meet the demand. So you have guaranteed work. Mm-hmm. If you're a male, <sighs> forget about it i mean i i get pulled in so many different directions can you talk to my son can you talk to my husband can you that i have you know i have a cousin i have this guy you know this guy doesn't want a a female therapist you know if you're a guy even more but you got it's a lot of work you don't make a decent living right off the bat you have those two years that you are a registered uh, intern and you're functioning under somebody's supervision you're getting paid the minimum amount whatever that is um, and you're hustling for two years. All right. So it's, it is, there is a sacrifice. As I talked about earlier, there's a one year unpaid internship that you need to do, probably working in a place that you're not going to be a fan of. You're going to be working for free. That's going to get to you. So you really have to love the work because it's going to get to you after a while when you're being treated like you're a full time employee, but you're not getting paid. Um, and, and, and again, it's just trendy right now. Mental health is. The, the stigma has almost been removed. It's hot right now. Everyone's talking about it. Everyone wants to help. Don't do it because it's cool or trendy. Do it because you're actually willing to do the work. And it's a lot. It's a lot and you have to know your limits. You have to know when to say, I cannot see more than X amount of people per day. Or I need a mental health day. Yes, I am, I am a therapist, but I also need a mental health day. Yeah. And if you're going to go into this field, it is my personal and professional opinion that every great therapist has a therapist. Because if you're not processing stuff with somebody, you're internalizing it. And if you're internalizing it, you're going to project it onto your patients and you're going to damage them. So that is my personal and professional opinion. I'm sure there's plenty of people that are going to disagree with me and that's fine. But I go by that every great therapist has a great therapist. Makes total sense. I mean, yeah. we're all human. So Absolutely, it's not like you are. You are. Uh, we're not robots. Yeah, you, exactly. You can't separate yourself from the reality. Um, and then to, to kind of wrap it up, is there any? Uh, and it doesn't have to be related to mental health. Uh, but are there any books or, or films that you've recently watched that uh, you would recommend or that really caught your attention recently? Um. So the series Ted Lasso. Yeah. Just watch it. Yeah. I've only watched season one. I got to watch season two. They they did a great job grabbing everything. I mean, they they grabbed everything that is uncool and made it cool again. Mm -hmm. Just communicating stuff, talking about things, not just assuming people know, not like hiding from people, not hiding behind a screen. Like actually an example of people actually communicating their grievances or their insecurities or, you know, things like that. And just the overall theme and vibe of the show. Um, the books I stick to, if you want, you know, if you don't want to spend hundreds of dollars on self-development books and be reading one after the other after the other, I always recommend 
A New Earth by Eckhart Tolle, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, and Flow. Flow is an amazing book. I I don't remember the author's name because it's a very complicated last name, but maybe in the show notes, if there's any, maybe we can, mm-hmm. you know, we can put it. Flow is the concept of the way I feel playing music, the way you feel playing basketball, the way you feel when you're in the zone and, and that, you know, I'm sure, you know, give a shout out to Mike Beltran when, you know, the, the, the flow that he feels or his staff feels when he's, you know, when they're, when they're in the kitchen and they're cooking and, you know, that creates happiness and it creates a feeling of effectiveness mm-hmm. that really elevates our mood and we you can find a state of flow in almost anything that you do right. and so that so yeah so show ted lasso a new earth by eckhart tolle man search for meaning by victor frankel and flow which uh the author will will i'll find out exactly who it is because it's a very complicated last I name Okay, good. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you understand what I mean. Yeah. But, we can add it yeah. to the notes if anyone wants to watch it. For me, I'm late to the party, but I've been watching Billions. Okay. I don't know if you watched that I show. Have not. It's pretty solid. Uh, I'm on season three right now. I think you would like it. There's a. There's actually like a. In the. the there's two main characters. One guy's an attorney who's trying to prosecute this guy who's the head of a hedge fund, uh, Axe Capital. And at Axe Capital, they have a an internal. Uh, uh, what's it called the psychologist that uh. you know goes and speaks to all the different individuals and and that i feel like that character is very intriguing to me and the whole dynamics of it is really interesting it's, it's like private sector public sector but it's all corruption and things that are going on and egos so it, it's an interesting kind of Ooh, like show that, that. that blends a lot of uh of different it, it, it's a lot of juxtaposition oh yeah. it's always like who's the good guy who's the bad guy here and and then all, all these other people kind of get intertwined into it. So that's just kind of been like the, the tip that I've been on recently. Nice. I think uh, I'm going to get into yeah, that. Yeah. yeah I'll keep you posted on that. I, that sounds very interesting. Sure. They yeah. have it on, um, I think you watch it on Prime. And they have it in a few other spots because it was mm-hmm. a Showtime show. Nice. But uh, yeah, Amazon Prime is where I've been watching it. Uh, and other than that, I think uh, I haven't really been reading that many books. I've been picking up a lot of my old design books. There's one called... Um, senses or design for the senses that mm. i've been recently like diving into it talks about like the non-visual side of things which is something that you know everything is so visual and, and what we create is so visual but we can't deny the other aspects of the smell the touch the sound all that kind of stuff so that that's kind of been me trying to find a different angle to a lot that's of this awesome stuff. Yeah. man that's so, very cool yeah, yeah wow i like that but uh where can where can anyone follow you or, or find you online yeah, I mean, uh, my website is carlosescanilla.com. Um, and as I was uh, talking to you before we started, um, our, our our mutual website designer, he's uh, he's going to implement the music stuff there. So hopefully sometime soon the music stuff will be there. But as far as uh, social media is concerned, the what I call the professional personal page is uh, carlos.escanilla. Mm-hmm. And my music page is carlos305music. And, and that's pretty much the best ways to find me. Um, and also, of course, uh, Coral Gables Counseling Center. You can always go that route if you want to find me, you know, for any therapy work as well as my primary website. Awesome. All right. Thank you for your time, Carlos. Of course, Appreciate man. It. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.